All right, good evening, and thanks everyone for joining us again for this sweet hour of prayer. Has anyone been enjoying, who's been enjoying the nights by the grace of God? Amen. If you've been enjoying the nights, can I see a show of hands? Praise the Lord. Prayer should always be enjoyable. Amen. Uh, with that said, I'm going to go ahead and open us up with a word of prayer, okay? If you would bow your heads with me, please. Father, we come to you again yet tonight. Lord, I pray that we, as a, as a church family, as your church, would understand that, Lord, we, we need to do this more often. That we would come to realize that there is power in prayer and that those who make it through the time of trouble will be a praying people. And that prayer, Lord, is the key in the hand of the faithful to unlock the storehouse and treasures of heaven. Father, I pray that everyone who has been involved in every name that has went forward, went up in your presence, would be answered. Lord, throughout the nights we have learned things about ourselves. Father, we have prayed for those who are going through. But Lord, I want to thank you for the peace that you have brought on us as we have gone from day to day. Lord, we ask that your presence would be here in a double portion, that it would rest upon my brother and sister as they prepare to share their testimony. And Father, I pray that we would leave here with a blessing to impart to others and not selfishly hold it to ourselves. Thank you for the rain, which is just a precursor of what's to come. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. When we uh, lived in Idaho, I need my phone. When we lived in Idaho, we were part of a group called uh, Love Circle. And uh, I think it was once a month, wasn't it? Yep. Once a month we'd get together and a different couple would lead out. You have to speak right at okay. the microphone so everyone. A different couple would lead out. <laughs> And it never failed. The couple that let out always got into an argument <laughs> while they were preparing. Fortunately, we didn't have enough time to prepare, so we didn't get into an argument this time. <laughs> that was years but ago. when we did this in Oildale, we did. Only one. <laughs> A little one. You get very vulnerable when you're preparing for something like that. And so I had a vulnerable moment. <laughs> Anyway, I would like you to cl close your eyes um, and just listen if you don't want to watch us reads. <laughs> yeah, we have a little bit of reading. But, um, but I'd like to start with prayer first, so if Elizabeth would have prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for marriage, for our marriage. And Lord, the things that we talk about tonight, we don't, we're not here to glorify the sin Amen. that is in our lives, but to glorify how you, Lord, give us victory. Victory over things in our lives that we kept choosing to love and we kept choosing to forgive and we kept choosing to keep you in our lives and becoming more of the focus so that now we stand before you and we stand before all of who are here that you impressed upon their hearts to come 
And Lord, I don't know what it is about our experience that we share tonight, but may it open up someone else's heart tonight for an area of love and an area of forgiveness and a, a new in life, a newness in life to go forward, a changed person. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'd like to start off with a scripture that has seemed to have been a theme in our marriage. It's in Romans 8.28. A lot of you know it. It says, and we know that all things, how many? All things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. And I think that's a theme of this story. I came to the Lord with a lot of baggage. Not all of it was sin, but some was, that I didn't know how to let go of. As a young Christian, I didn't have any mentors to speak of. I wasn't led to the cross by a friend, but I found him in the quiet of my small Air Force barracks room. I didn't trust the church's teaching. I'd grown up as an Episcopalian most of my life, and uh, so I kind of did it on my own. And I imagine my grandma was praying for me somewhere out here in California, but I didn't know. And I didn't have any guidance outside of what the Spirit led me, and some of that led to some crazy ideas. While I wandered through life, often forgetting who I'd given my life to, and that led me to falling back into some old habits and sins. I grew up in a Christian home, so going to church on a weekly basis was from the day I was born. Um, I have a, a sister, an older sister, but I seemed to be the one that was more drawn to spiritual things. In fact, when I was 14, I attended a, a Christian camp and I was baptized with other campers. And at the end of my sophomore year in high school is when I met, when I met John. Now, just before this, after my experience of knowing the Lord, I met a girl who was a Seventh-day Adventist, got me involved in going to this, to this church. But that's when I met Elizabeth, and I wasn't what you call a model Christian. We became very active early on in our relationship, and we both felt we needed to stop, but we never made that commitment. So like I said, I was barely 16 when I met John, and by, the, um, by April of my senior year in high school, I was pregnant, and I did consider an abortion, and John prayed that I wouldn't go through it, and thankfully, God intervened. I actually Amen. had a friend and my sister that we drove 45 miles to the next city. There was a doctor there that did abortions. And I actually was in the waiting room. I actually got called in the back. I actually got changed. I was actually in the examination room. And the doctor just looked at me and he said, if I hear the heartbeat, I'm not doing this. And so he put the microphone on my ears as well, and I heard the heartbeat. And um, I was a really kind of a feisty teenager. So I, he said, do you hear that? And I said, yes. And he says, that's the heartbeat. And I said, yes. And he says, what are you going to do about it? And I looked at him like, you're not giving me any other choice. So, and granted, I know I was baptized at 14, but I was still a very feisty, independent, selfish teenager. <laughs> <laughs> but God, God saw a lot in me. And so, um, praise the Lord. 
Um, not only did we have one son, we had two more. And so that year, uh, I graduated from high school on June 1st. Six weeks later, I was married. And six months to the day, I had Michael, our oldest son. And I'm all about dates. I have a very good memory of dates and things. And for me, it was a sign from God that he was showing me that he was still there in the midst of things and mistakes that we make. Fast forward. Uh, we've been married about 12 years when we moved to this area. I'd just been hired after being laid off from a job right out of college. So it's kind of stressful anyway. We were fairly new to California, and we uh, didn't have any relatives closer than 1,200 miles, so kind of alone. I was very focused on my new career, and I was becoming, well, more, I would say, emotionally empty and disconnected. I guess the disconnectedness actually started when I was going to college. So like John said, we had been married about 12 years, and, and I wasn't the same person that John married. Uh, we, were, we were raising three sons, but by now I felt I was doing everything. I don't know if any of you wives have, always, you know, have ever felt that, but I felt like I was doing everything from raising the kids, doing the finances, cleaning the house, and there's a scripture about pride, and I got extremely prideful. Proverbs 13.10 says, Only by pride cometh contention, and with the well-advised is wisdom, but with the well-advised is wisdom. So I don't know when it all started, uh, but it just seemed that when I was doing everything, it seemed like John was taking a farther step back from not only our marriage, but even our family. And he got quieter. And he, he's not a, a real talkative person anyway, so when I say he got quieter, he got really quiet. <laughs> I'm really quiet. And I'm at my, my love language is conversation and quality time, and so I was not getting that deep conversation that I was needing and that I was lacking. And that also led to I did not feel connected to John anymore. So we were arguing a lot. And then, um, oh, so when there's discontent in our, in our marriage at that time, it also left the door wide open for temptation. There is another verse in Proverbs 16, 18, said, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. A part of my sin baggage included an addiction to pornography. I don't know if any of you struggle with that, but if you do, don't leave it in the dark because it will consume you. It always leaves you wanting. It never satisfies with, with reality. It's never satisfied with reality. It's all fantasy. It affected my relationship with my wife, my children, my church, and God. You know, living a double life is hard to do and eventually wears you out. I wanted to change. I hated our, how our marriage was deteriorating, and I hated being a hypocrite in church. So I began going to an AA-type meeting, and I had a sponsor to help me. Well, at this point, I knew John was beginning to get some help, but by then I had been extremely frustrated in our relationship, and found it. <laughs> and, and I just felt this really huge resentment towards him. I felt like, so now you wait? You've had this problem years before I even met you, and now it's been 12 years into this, and my anger is building up because I'm also guilty of something that I'm not willing to confess. 
So his reactions for getting help actually drew me away. And it drove me so far away that I, I couldn't even remember the last time John had even given me a compliment. But I was looking for connections, and then an opportunity presented itself I, um, from another man. I was beginning to slide down into a horrible pit that I did not see. I just didn't even realize it. My love for John had been waning for some time, and I started receiving flattery for someone else. And John and I were still fighting a lot at home, but we would go to church with smiles on our faces and looking like this really happy couple. <laughs> I knew things weren't right, and I knew she was way too close to this guy, but I felt like there was nothing I could do. Everything I tried just seemed to drive her farther and farther away, and we were arguing a lot. Matthew 12, 35 says, A good man, out of the good treasure of the heart, bringeth forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, bringeth forth evil things. So, this flattery thing that was going on, it lasted about 16 months, and then... I think I failed to tell you, he was also married, and his wife kicked him out, and he moved to another state to live with his oldest daughter from a previous marriage. But three weeks later, I took the three boys, and I started driving east. The day she left, I didn't see it coming. She just didn't show up to take me home. No note lying there when I got there to the house. No boys to say prayers with and no wife to fight with, just a quiet house. Though I continued my meetings with the uh, AA group and my sponsor, I even sought out a counselor. And one thing I remember him saying to me was that uh, your greatest weakness will one day become your greatest strength. And I didn't understand it at the time, but one thing I knew is if I didn't change my life, um, if I didn't come to love me for who God made me be, even though I was, you know, I was shy, but if I didn't come to love me, then all this was going to happen again and again. So, uh, you know, who I was was okay. I wasn't perfect, but in Christ, I was okay. So I had been gone for about four weeks, and then I found out that I was pregnant. So when I told the married man this, um, he told me I had to get an abortion. And so that very night, after the kids went to bed, I just wanted to kill myself. I just felt like, my gosh, I felt like I had hurt so many people, from people back home, and I was hurting my kids really bad, and I was filled with so much shame and guilt. So the next day, um, I sent the boys off to school, and the man came by my trailer house where I was living with my three sons, and he drove me to a payphone, and he gave me the phone number for the abortion clinic that was three hours away in another city. So I called the number, and God just has such a way of intervening. So after the woman asked me a couple of questions, she declared, you're not far enough along yet. You can't have an abortion. And I knew at that very moment, I remember saying, God, you're in my life again. You are going to save me from this situation. So when I told the married man that I couldn't have an abortion, 
All of a sudden, I kind of like what you're doing. We'll just flow it. It's kind of like freedom there. It just kind of felt good. Because <laughs> this is not easy. <laughs> so, you know, now he's telling me that we need to go back to our spouses and work it out. Well, you know, his past was, I wasn't his first one that he had an affair with. I was actually around number 17. So, um, so, and I have no idea if I even have a husband to go back to. So, that night, I had suicidal thoughts. I, I didn't know what to do. And I, I am, so I drove to the gas station. I didn't have a, I didn't have a, we didn't have cell phones back then. <laughs> so, I had to drive to a gas station. I drove about four blocks away from this trailer house that I was staying at. And I, I called John. It was only, I think, my first or second time calling him in those four weeks. And I told him I was leaving in the morning, and then I was heading back to California. And I, I called a second time along the route, which is, it, it's a two-day and two-night drive from where I had gone to. And I, I told him that I loved him. And then I was just realizing it wasn't all your fault, and that I actually had some issues I needed to work out on. But I didn't tell him I was still pregnant. In Isaiah 42, God says he wants to release those who are bound. He wants to comfort all who mourn. He wants to give them beauty for ashes and... The oil of joy for mourning. The first glimmer of hope came in a phone call. Liz was coming back. She said she'd figured out that it wasn't all my fault. <laughs> and she needed to work out some of her own problems, too. She didn't say she was coming home, though. But she was coming back to Bakersfield. I did a whole lot of praying before she got back. I wanted to be prepared for anything. Well, right after she got back, I showed her this little house that I had moved to because I couldn't afford the other one. And then we took a walk. She told me she was pregnant. And a lot of tears were shed on that walk. God had already prepared my heart, though. And I told her, I can raise this baby as my own. But she couldn't. Well, God was beginning to work a miracle out in all of this mess. We wound up having to move to another church. This one. <laughs> Because people are limited in mercy and forgiveness and sometimes quick to judge without knowing the whole story. But that's all right, as God had other plans. And I truly did believe John. I know John has a lot of love in his heart, and I knew he could raise this baby that I was pregnant with, but I just couldn't. I felt like God had designed our family of three sons, and I had stepped outside of his designed plan for us. So, that just feels so good, John. <laughs> so, shortly after coming, um, arriving back in Bakersfield area, it, you know, people have found out that I was pregnant, but um, I, I was given advice that I needed to hide my sin and that I should have an abortion. And I'm thinking, I am facing this three times now. And... So this person helped by, um, you know, making an, an appointment for me, and 
So the morning of that appointment, the boys, I sent them off to school and I, I started praying. And I was really scared. I'm not one to hide. I'm, I'm a pretty strong, I'm pretty strong. And, and I rather just meet challenges head on. But this was a little too much to bear. I can only say that once again, the Holy Spirit was active. Um, I was impressed upon my heart to call our previous uh, pastor, associate pastor, from the city that we moved from um, up north, town to Bakersfield. And so I talked to him, and I told him my predicament. And although he didn't know me well, he had only known us for 18 months while we lived in that city, that he said, if I went through the abortion, that most likely I would end up my, I would end my life within five years. So he prayed with me, and then I waited for the, this person to pick me up, and while driving towards the place to have this abortion, I suddenly just said, I'm not going through with this. And so later in that afternoon, um, this person dropped me off at John's employment, so he's looking at me, and then I, I told him I'm still pregnant. I couldn't hold it back any longer. I grabbed her and hugged her. God had answered my prayer so wonderfully. I'd been praying so hard that she didn't go through with it. It wasn't the child's fault. Why should it have to pay the price? So now we're considering adoption. I'm considering adoption. So a short time later, I received another phone call from another church member that um, knew of a couple in another state, in another city, who had been trying for years of to have a child of their own, and they just couldn't have a child of their own. Well, later that evening, I received a phone call from an older man, and he happened to be the father of his daughter and son-in-law who would be more than willing to adopt this child that I was carrying. So arrangements were made that John and I would meet this prospective couple, and then shortly thereafter, we met the couple, but we, then we met her family, her sisters, and their husbands, and their kids. <clears throat> And eventually, the couple met our kids. So, long story short, because that's a whole big story. <laughs> but um, the following summer, I gave birth to a baby girl. And gave her up for adoption. And um, pretty cool thing is we had an open adoption. So... We uh, kept contact with each other by photo albums. So every year around September, I would get a, a photo album in the mail. So I was actually watching this little girl grow up. In fact, I have 17 photo albums. Well, um, <laughs> well, you know, God is a God of completeness. And last January, 2015, um, I got a call from the adopted mom. And she said, um, uh, their daughter is, is ready to meet me. So that was like, oh, I didn't know that was going to um, I, you know, I had, I had different dreams, different scenarios of how I was going to meet this little girl someday. And um, in fact, I'm going to share this story real quick. One time I came to church, and it was on this, this baby, well, little girl's birthday. It was her ninth birthday. 
And I came to the sanctuary, and it happened to be that Sabbath, and she was born on the Sabbath. And uh, so I came in, and Marlon, Pastor Marlon was here, and he knew of our story, and he saw me, and he says, are you okay? And I said, no, I'm not okay today. He goes, well, what's wrong? And I just said, you know, I'm just realizing that I have dreams about how I'm going to meet her, and I'm always dream my dreams always have my, my kids there, but my kids are growing up, and so is she, and so it's changing. It's like, it's probably not going to happen while my kids stay little, and Pastor Marlon was so wonderful because he said, I understand about dreams. He said, I expected to be married by now, and I'm still not married, and I had scenarios and the way I thought it was going to happen, and you know, just for him sharing that, I don't know how many of you knew that about him, but he met me where I was at, and that just gave me the strength to continue on. Um, anyway, so then uh, we, we planned a meeting date, and it was in February of last year, almost to the day, almost. And uh, so they came to Bakersfield, um, her adopted parents and her, and that was pretty cool. <laughs> that was really cool. That was a great weekend. We went through every every album, all 17 of them, and then um, we got an invitation to go to her high school graduation. More tears were shed, and <laughs> some wonderful memories were made. So there was a, so we, we drove up there, we got to go to her high school graduation, and at the end of her high school graduation, there was going to be a, a backyard picnic, and it was at her grandparents' house. And so there was a moment where I was sitting you know, on the back patio, and I'm looking out, and there's a, the table of food, you know, and I'm, and I'm just starting to see who's who. So I see her parents, who have been raising her all these years, and then, and then I see her grandparents, and then I'm seeing her aunts and uncles and cousins, and, you know, I kept looking around, and I got very overwhelmed by seeing all these family. And all of a sudden, I felt like God said to me, you see life because you chose to give life. Amen. So. You know, they live in a little cul-de-sac where all of their families, there's like three houses. And just before we left, her uncle was talking to us and he said, you see all of this? It's because of her. She has been the glue that kept us all together. God used this horrible situation, this tragedy of a marriage, this almost tossed out child, to teach so many people so much good. And we aren't glorifying the sin in this, but the God who can use all things for good to those that love him. So I really think we should end on this note, don't you think? Amen. I love your smiles, but take a deep breath. Okay? Everybody take a deep breath, because there's more. And that's not all roses. Now's my story. Growing up, my family moved around a lot. Because I was shy, I didn't make a lot of friends. It was very hard for me to make friends. In fact, every time we moved, it came, became easier and easier to forget about friends. Well, this left a lot of holes in my life. And um, I don't know why, but after this affair and the baby, I started visiting some websites from high schools that I'd gone to. And then join these websites, I put my name out there. Well, lo and behold, I got a response from an old girlfriend. 
this was the girlfriend that I had originally left home for, the one I had been engaged to. So there was a lot of baggage, and it didn't end well between us. And I thought, well, now's the time to correct that, to make up for that. So um, I got in contact with her, and those things don't end well. I've lost my place. It's right here, honey. I'll help you out. <laughs> right there. You have to read a verse. Uh, <laughs> Proverbs 16.25. That, that saves the day. Ah, there is a way that seemeth right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Fits really well. Well, it didn't start out with evil intent, but getting in touch with an old girlfriend doesn't end well. Being the strong Christian that I felt I was, I wanted to tell her my, about my faith, my conversion. And innocent conversations eventually led to more intimate conversations about family and feelings that should never be expressed or shared with someone of the same or opposite sex, excuse me, outside of your marriage. And then one day, she said that in her eyes, we were still married. I was like, what? This kind of blew me away. I didn't know what to say about it. I became more and more confused as the days and weeks and months went by. My mind would drift to her often more than it did to my wife, where it should. I was struggling more and more in my relationship with Jesus, and I actually feared for my salvation, but I still couldn't break free from this pull of the fantasy. Well, then she told me about a class reunion that was coming up and was hoping that I could make it. I had no idea how I rationalized it, but one day I bought an airline ticket and made hotel reservations because I was going to finally close the chapter in my life the way I felt it should be closed. Yeah, right. I was a flying, driving, walking zombie. I was walking straight into the lion's den, and I couldn't put on the brakes. That whole weekend culminated that whole emotional affair that started out a year earlier. My head was screaming, get out, but my body was saying, I want this. She didn't have a problem lying to her spouse and wanting to continue, wanted to continue meeting on secret rendezvous whenever we could. She, never, she said she never loved her husband and had always hoped that we could get back together. I couldn't say that. And I was very much bothered that she didn't have a problem lying to her spouse. I had fallen for this and it was too late to take it all back. You know, it's kind of like Humpty Dumpty, once he falls off the wall, he couldn't be put back together again. Flying, flying back home, I wondered if God was going to let the plane crash and snuff me out. But God didn't. <laughs> and I didn't come clean. Proverbs 32, 3-4 says, When I kept silent, my bones waxed old through my roaring all day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. That's how I felt. Fact is, I made Liz feel bad about even suggesting that something had happened. 
I am. And during that time, I really, I had no idea. I had no idea. I kind of felt like what we had been through with my affair and a baby being born, that we were just so close. I just, I just did not have a clue. And so I took him to the airport, and I, I was giving him a hug by saying, remember to be faithful. He doesn't remember me saying that. So I knew there was something going on, but I really didn't, I, maybe I didn't want to think about it or whatever, but when I, I picked him up at the airport after that weekend, and we were driving back to Bakersfield, and I finally, you know, I, I had that gut feeling that I needed to ask. And so I finally did. I asked him, and boy, he became so defensive, just not, not a pretty sight. And I told myself I would never ask him again. I thought it was my fault for even saying such a thing. And I just thought, you know, shame on me for thinking so horrible about my husband. Secretly, though, I'd hoped she would ask just one more time. And then I'd tell her all about it, but she never did. And I believe that is because God wants each one of us to take responsibility for our own actions. And that's why he guides the way he does. You know, the Lord doesn't give up on us. He started hounding me with everything I read, everything I watched or heard. Every night I was filled with guilt. I would break out in sweats. There was no way I could pray with Elizabeth because of the more guilt and condemnation I'd feel. I'd even been counseled to never tell my wife that it would all heal and fade away. Proverbs 11:14 says, in the multitude of counsels, there is safety. So you need to be careful. We both have gone to different counselors in our history of being married. Some good advice is out there. But bottom line is you need to think about the advice that is being given you, whether it is something that is good for you in your marriage. But God doesn't work that way. He beat on me relentlessly day and night, and little things Liz would say convicted me. The lady I had an affair with continued contacting me, but I just couldn't keep it up. She tried flattery, temptation, then guilt. She would never love her. Oh, wait. <laughs> she would never love anyone else. She was leaving her husband. She told me, she, she told him she'd had an affair and had never loved him. I finally told her I couldn't do this to my wife and God and said goodbye. Well, she tried one more thing, uh, one last guilt message, and that was it. But I was still left with all this C -R -A -P. stuff in my head, my heart and mind. I used another word, an oil deal. <laughs> it wasn't until two years later when a couple came to church. They were renewing their vows that I couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> I broke down and I spilled it all out to Elizabeth. Let me tell you, it wasn't pleasant. I didn't know if we were gonna survive this time. I had no excuses, I'd walked right into this. I didn't see how God could forgive me, much less my wife, but Darkness can't survive in the light, and now that it was out, healing could start. So we were attending um, this church at the time, and the couple um, 
they were, not only were they renewing their vows, it was their 35th wedding anniversary, and, but they were also making a new covenant in their marriage. And it was Alvi and Renee. And I still remember this day, you know, Renee being baptized, and at the same time for us, we were looking at our 20th year was coming up. And so I'm, I'm on cloud nine. I'm just thinking, wow, what we've been through, and we're, we're going to reach 20 years. Wow. You know? Well, there was a point in that ceremony that John whispered in my ear and said, what do you think she's thinking? Do you know why I asked that? No. <laughs> I wanted to know how you were going to react. Well, so I thought, so what is Alvi thinking at that moment? And I thought, you know, to have her husband with a renewed heart and mind and making this new covenant, not only to himself and his relationship with God, but to his wife, that I felt like, you know, for her, it's worth it. It's this, to stand here this day next to her husband, it's all worth it. So that's what I told John. <laughs> well, after the ceremony, we were the last couple to leave this room, and John started walking me out there, and you know, there's two sets of doors out there, we went out one, but he came back, bringing me back around again. And I thought, okay, why is he bringing me in here? We were supposed to be celebrating having cake and ice cream. I don't think it was ice cream, but I'm sure there was some kind of a cake or something. And John said, I have something to tell you. And you know, at that very moment, I got that gut feeling that I had three years ago. And I thought, there was something going on. And I had ignored that gut feeling. So one lesson I have learned in the last 13 years is for me, the Holy Spirit speaks to me in a gut feeling. For some, it may be a voice. It may be an inclination. It may be something. But the Holy Spirit speaks to all of us. And for me, it's my gut feeling. And I, I don't ignore that anymore. So after confessing to me of his wrong, um, I just said that. So anyway, so um, when John said it wasn't pleasant, it wasn't. I was completely devastated. I couldn't believe our family was going through this a second time around. And, you know, we had three kids the first time around, and we still have three kids the second time around. But you know what? I took action. I told John he had to figure out why this happened again, because this should not have happened to our family, and especially a second time round after what we've been through the first time round. I, didn't, I told him that he had one week to figure it out. I know I'm pretty strong. And um, I also gave him an ultimatum. You have one week or else you're out. And I, I didn't have a thought-out plan of how God was going to take care of me and three kids, and I was at the time driving back and forth to Northridge to get my college degree, but all those details, it didn't matter. The principle was that John needed to figure this out if we were going to even consider being able to be married 20 years or celebrate 25 years. So their celebration was on a Saturday night. Felt good, huh? <laughs> By Monday afternoon, I received a phone call from a counselor that John had seen. And the counselor asked me, would you come in? And I said, yeah, I get off work in an hour. Um, yeah, I'll come in. So I came in, and the counselor told me that what John had said. And I'll tell you, John didn't leave any stone uncovered. He said it all. 
He had given his addiction a voice. It was out there now. And I could see very clearly that John was serious about changing. So healing was taking place. It didn't happen overnight, I'll tell you that. But it was happening every new day that dawned and every evening when the sun set. I recently had surgery on my hand. I had what they call trigger finger. And it got to the point where I could no longer close my hand. And uh, it was very painful. I was losing sleep at night. I had to do something. So I went and elected for surgery. It was very painful recovery. At one point, I didn't think the pain would ever go away. I went to therapy. I did all the, the physical therapy I was supposed to do you know, during the week. And I had a lot of scar tissue building up. And they said I needed to keep rubbing it and massaging it, which hurt even more. Well, it finally started feeling better. I can almost close my hand now. Strange thing is, uh, this finger here started triggering. Doctor said, if I get a shot early enough, the chances for success were higher. And after much debate in my mind, I said, go ahead. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a cortisone shot in your finger, but it was the most painful experience I've ever felt. So why am I saying all this? Well, this experience with my wife and I has been much like this surgery, painful. There were times when we didn't think the pain would stop. And then the next trial came along. It was even more painful. The healing took a lot of time, but it was necessary for us to have complete healing. This afternoon, I was looking out the window at our home, and I noticed some old tomato plants all dried up. They're about this tall. But on the top of them, there were flowers. And as I looked closer, I saw six, six tomatoes growing. Six tomatoes. First Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And Isaiah 42, 3 says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Is there any fire in a smoldering wick that you can see? Anybody? No. And God isn't willing to snuff that out. Maybe some of you are going through a horrible experience in your life. I don't know, but God knows. And he has a plan, and he won't stop until you're healed. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's an enemy who was a friend. But I believe as God is asking you to give them a chance, a do-over. He's done it for you. Um, I'd like to close with prayer. And uh, before I do, I would like to ask anybody out there who is feeling called by the Spirit who is dealing with hard times in their life, 
they're struggling, but they need God to help them to come down here with us. Or if not, just Syria. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for how you worked in our lives through the pain, through the ugliness, that you brought beauty out of ashes, that you, you poured oil on us and you've blessed us through all of this. And, uh, you know, we haven't been perfect. but you have worked a miracle in our lives and you never give up on us. Lord, you never get up on anybody. I pray for everyone in this room, for this whole church, Lord, that they would hear you calling, that they won't give up. In uh, Jesus' name I pray, amen. Can you say amen to that story? John's not used to making appeals, and I've been slowly learning how to make more appeals. You've got to give him a little more time. But that's okay. No, I want to make a, um, as I was listening to, to Elizabeth and John and watching them, I realized that, uh, you know, all of us, there's a story of our lives that is, that is being written um, as, we, as we sat and, and listened to them. And all of us are carrying around a little uh, portfolio uh, with the story of our life in it. Uh, but not all of us have the freedom to drop those pages to the floor and, and let go of the past, as John and, and Elizabeth so, so much enjoyed that. Yeah, and, uh, and to see the, the giddiness between you two, it was, it was really a blessing. Uh, you can see the healing that has taken place. But as I thought about the social media, we are living in an age, folks, where social media is so dangerous. Uh, you heard John talk about an old connection, an old acquaintance, uh, and I have a Facebook account, my wife does, and we've had many old, old high school friends, you know, contact us, and you know, oh, no big deal, you just click the friend, you know, accept friendship, and next thing you know, they're sending you a message. We've never had an issue with that, I've always been very open with her, uh, anytime messages come in, but it doesn't mean that there's no danger. Uh, and I think I, I would like to make an appeal um, that if you're struggling with social media, uh, that you would, you would come forward and we would pray for you. Um, it doesn't mean you're having an affair. It just maybe means that you're having a hard time breaking away from it. Uh, and you have to realize that there is a great danger uh, that lies beyond the shadows when it comes to, to social media uh, and pornography and some of the other things that John had mentioned. Uh, this, is, this is the beast of the age that we're facing, uh, is, is the, the easy access to old, familiar friends, uh, the easy access to things we shouldn't be looking at. Uh, and I think that would be an appropriate appeal for tonight, uh, given what they shared. So if you're struggling with that and just want special prayer to be, break free from, from social media, uh, then I would just ask you to, to stand to your feet. And you're welcome to come right down to the front um, as well. I think that needs to be the, the burden of our prayer tonight. I would, I would encourage us all to break up into small groups as we close and pray for our church. If you're not struggling with that, the fact that John and Elizabeth shared this testimony tonight means that there's probably a lot of other stories like theirs that haven't quite come to an end and maybe haven't even begun to, uh, to, found, to find healing. And we need to pray for those families that, that by the power of God and by the power of the Spirit, those, those things will be broken uh, before we have more families on, on, the, on the rocks. Uh, praise God for the, for the Lord and, and for his love for us. Amen?
Um, what a testimony. Thank you. So it's the first time I had, I had heard it. And um, I wish we could have heard the extended version, but, but you're right. I mean, to really, you know, we don't need to, to, to share all the details. Suffice to say that the God is able to, to save to the uttermost. Um, and any marriage that's at the uttermost, um, all those who call upon him. So why don't we break up into small groups tonight? Um, let's keep them three, four, uh, groups of four. We'll take about 10 minutes and then we'll close in prayer. And let's um, pray for the social media monster of the age that is creeping into our churches, creeping into our lives, creeping into our marriages, and even taking fast hold upon our children. Let's make that the burden of our prayer tonight. And anything else that you have on your mind, uh, the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of which we desire so desperately here at Central, okay? We'll take five to ten minutes to pray, and then I'll, I'll close. <laughs>